Welcome to B2B Writing Success, the podcast on building a thriving business as a business-to-business writer or copywriter. B2B Writing Success is brought to you by American Writers and Artists, Inc. Now here's your host, copywriting expert and business coach, Steve Slonwhite. Hello, fellow B2B writers and copywriters. Hope you're having a great week with your business. This is going to be a very interesting podcast because it started off as one thing and ended up as something related, but very different, I think actually much better. (laughs) Let me explain. I originally wanted to interview Michael Katz on the topic of how to describe your services, how to describe you, how to describe you as a brand, how to describe what you do on your website. I thought that was going to be a very good topic, and it is a very good topic. But what happened in my interview with Michael Katz in in asking him questions about how to describe your services, uh, what came up is that I was actually asking the wrong question because describing your services or struggling in how to describe your services is actually a symptom to a deeper problem. And that deeper problem has to do with focus. It has to do with how you focus your business, focus on the type of projects that you write, focus on the type of clients that you work for. And then when you have a really good focus for your business, then describing your business, describing what you do, really isn't that much of a problem. Of course, it's still a challenge, but it's not that much of a problem. In fact, a lot of writers and copywriters, if they're struggling to describe what they do, it's usually not because they can't find the right words, it's because they don't have the right focus or they haven't focused their their business in a way that they know who they write for, who their ideal client is, what they do, what makes them different from other writers and copywriters. So with that in mind, uh, this became a, a very interesting, I think it's going to be a very helpful interview with Michael Katz coming up in just a moment. But first, let me just remind you of who he is. You've probably heard about him. He is the author of the AWAI program, Creating Email Newsletters for Professional Service Companies. And he does just that in his own business. He's also a marketing consultant and writer for uh, his clients. He helps them narrow their focus. He helps them uh, figure out what they're good at. He helps them uh, describe what they do, speak and write about what they do in a way that's compelling, in a way that is easy to remember, easy to share, that differentiates them. So he does a lot of really cool stuff with his clients, and he knows a lot about this particular topic of focus. So without further ado, here is Michael Katz on focusing your writing services. Welcome, Michael Katz, to the BDB Writing Success Podcast. Great to be here, Steve. Thank you. Uh, it's, it's my pleasure. Thanks for agreeing to do this. And what, what I want to talk about is something that you are a, a particular expert at, and that is uh, helping copywriters, content writers, when they're, when they're positioning themselves, when they're marketing themselves, when they're talking to prospects and clients, uh, helping them dis- you know, talk about how, helping them describe what they do in a way that helps them stand out. Because a lot of copywriters and content writers, great writers, but we all struggle with describing ourselves, describing what we do in, in, in a way that doesn't sound exactly the same as every other copywriter and content writer. So it's a struggle. And let's just start there, Michael. 
Why is it such a struggle, do you think, for solo professionals, especially writers, to be able to describe what they do in a way that differentiates? Well, I think, as you said, it's a problem that's not particular to writers. I mean, I only work with professional service providers, financial planners, consultants, recruiters, writers, coaches. And we all have this problem. And I think it's because, first off, what we're selling is not something you can kind of pick up and touch. So it's not like you're selling a pair of sneakers or something where I can sample it or taste it. And the other thing is that generically, from from the outside looking in, it does look the same. And so to a potential client who's not going to investigate incredibly deeply what makes one person different from another. So you do have to kind of tell them or else they're just going to say, ah, there's a writer. So it's a problem, but it is one that I think is critical to overcome because it really limits you if people see you as interchangeable with other people who do kind of the same thing. Yeah, and I think that's a problem a lot of copywriters uh, come up against because so many people are hanging their shingles and calling themselves a copywriter that they find it hard to differentiate. And they've, and they and I, I think a, a lot of prospects and clients can see a copywriters as interchangeable to some extent, like you say. Um, let's get into some strategies. How, how do you go about starting this process of, of figuring out how to describe yourself in a way that it helps you stand out uh, from the crowd? Well, so one thing I think is what not to do, or what I think is not that effective, and that is words which talk about how wonderful you are. And I don't even mean from a, uh, gee, it sounds arrogant kind of perspective. I just mean that things like diligent, hardworking, renowned, experienced, I mean, whatever adjective you want to use, the problem is everyone uses the same kind of things. The potential people who hear them, it just sort of rolls off you. Like if I told you I'm an amazing copywriter, it doesn't really stick. And yet I find people spend really weeks and weeks asking friends, is it better if I say renowned or remarkable? And I don't think any of that makes a difference because there's nobody walking around saying they're terrible. So it doesn't set you apart to do that kind of thing. What I think makes a difference, and this may sound obvious, but I think people miss it, is Try and describe something that's actually true. So this is where having a narrow focus, whether it's what you do, like a guy like Gordon Graham, who's the white paper guy. Right. Or when I think of somebody like Bob Bly, I think of direct response copywriting. It's not the best ever on earth, whether he is or he isn't. It's he occupies a certain factual part of the universe. and. I don't think you have to be the only one on earth who does that thing, but I do think you want to be narrow enough and specific enough around a thing. It could also be an audience. Maybe you write, and I know someone who writes only for the senior market. So I, I don't know if she's better than somebody else, but what happens is if I'm a person interested in someone who will write for that market, or again, if you took Gordon Graham's thing, a white paper, those people just pop to mind. And I think that's most, most more effective in terms of separating yourself. It's also way more memorable. So that, you know, a year from now, if someone says, hey, do you know anybody help us with a white paper? It just, he just sticks in your head. And I think that is so much of what we need to do because we all live in this word of mouth world. 
No one's buying advertising. It's all about someone saying, hey, do you know Sona can help me? And you want your name to pop up around a particular audience or thing you do when someone asks that question of a friend or colleague. So uh, instead of using wonderful words like, um, I, I'm, I'm the incredible copywriter, <laughs> uh, position yourself with specifics. That's what you're saying, right? Position yourself with specifics. You know, you focus on a particular uh, target market. You work with a type of with a type of industry. You have an expertise in a certain area. You specialize in a certain type of project. Things that are true can can uh, narrow your focus and and help prospects and clients. I guess categorize you right and as as something unique as the go to person for that. Is is that what you're uh, saying? Yeah, and I would say so again. It doesn't mean you're the only person on earth because then people think, well, what's left for me to do? But right. you are definitely trying to narrow the the pond, if you will, so you can be a bigger fish. Um, the test is, would a competitor use the same word to talk about you? So no competitor is ever going to say, oh, Steve, he's a fabulous, <laughs> he's the fabulous copywriter. They might say, oh, he does this kind of thing. Like, take my thing. So my specialty is email newsletters. Right. So. Somebody might, a competitor might spin it the other way. Oh, he only does email newsletters, so he doesn't really know a lot about other stuff. So if you hire him, you're kind of boxing yourself into a corner, which isn't entirely incorrect, by the way. There is a negative to being specialized. I, of course, would say, well, yeah, but I know all there is to know about email newsletters and other marketing writers only do one, you know, do a ton of things. So there's no right or wrong, but it's, as I said, it's factual. Other people would say, that's, he's that guy. You want to be that guy or that woman. And again, so, so one way you know you're it is if a competitor would use the same words. The other is if somebody could ever attach the label, again, to use Gordon again, the white paper guy. I think that's actually his URL. It is. Are you, could you be the something something guy? You're never going to be the best right on earth guy, but you could be some other narrow thing. And it's also, I think we're talking about, yeah, yeah, but aren't I limiting my possibilities when I do that? And the answer is absolutely. But among the people who fall into that, you go to the front of the line. And, you know, as there's 28 million small businesses in the United States alone, I can't serve all of them. So I don't care if by saying I'm e-newsletter guy that I just took 27 million off the table. There's still a million left. And so I, I think people have to stop thinking about potential clients and think more about actual clients and actual clients, they pay you actual money. <laughs> so right, that, right. So again, it doesn't matter. You don't need worldwide market share. You need, you know, a reasonable number of clients, which for most of us is way smaller than the, the potential audience. So I don't think this narrowing the field objection is valid because it, it doesn't play out in real life. And speaking of Gordon Graham, by the way, uh, he's known as that white paper guy, sometimes the white paper guy. I think if you try both URLs, you'll still point to him. Right. But I, I happen to know he, uh, even though he's a very narrow focus, he also does case studies. He does um, long form articles, ghostwritten articles for, for clients. So clients, you know, once they, once they uh, tap his white paper expertise, they see him as such a great researcher and writer that they go back to them for other things. So it narrows your focus. It kind of gives you the point of a spear, I guess. But once you get into a client, 
it, it, it may serve to, uh, you know, you, you may get many other types of projects. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, a- absolutely. In fact, um, so that's the other objection. Someone might say, oh, I don't want to do nothing but white papers or newsletters or work with seniors or I want to do all kinds of other stuff. And that's fine. Just as you said, to me, marketing is not about describing reality. So a lot of times I'll work with a client who says, well, I've done this and I've done this and I've done that. I'm looking for a term that encompasses it all. No one's looking for that when they want to know what you do. The purpose of, you know, in his book, Persuasion, not Persuasion, Persuasion, Robert Cialdini says the purpose of communication I'm going to see if I get this right. The purpose of communication is to point somebody's attention to something in particular. So when you tell someone you're the white paper guy, it's not describing all the work you do. It's what do you want them to remember? And I have the same experience. I've never had more than 80% of my work be email newsletters. But I want to be associated with that term because, as you said, it's kind of a front door. And... Not only do your own clients offer you other work, sometimes people then approach you and say, hey, I know you do white papers, but you would, do, would you do this for us? And, you know, you can say yes or no. But my belief is that the way you describe yourself and what is, is always a subset of kind of what you actually do. And you don't have to worry that somehow you are leaving stuff out because, again, step one is can you get enough clients to have all the work you want? And then you can worry about branching out after that. Okay, Michael, let's assume someone has gone through this exercise, a writer has gone through this exercise of narrowing their focus and focusing in on a niche or a type of project or just in it, defining themselves in a very unique and narrow way. Um, how do they put words to that? What's the best way to do that? Should they be, you know, sh- should they come up with a moniker like uh, <laughs> that white paper guy? Yeah, yeah. Or, or um, you know, what, what's, what's the best way to make this uh, obvious? Yeah, well... I think you have to think about how does word of mouth actually work? And again, word of mouth is it. Like I, I'm sure if, if your listeners were here and, and you know, we polled them and said, okay, what's your number one source of clients? It's always word of mouth and referral. That's always the answer for, again, people like us who don't spend money on advertising or sponsorships or stuff like that. Right. So the way word of mouth works is a couple of things. One is when two people are talking, and one person says, do you know somebody who can dot, 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 whatever it is, mechanic for my car, teacher for my son, um, personal trainer for my brother, doctor, freelance writer. You're not there. You're not in the room. It's two people talking. What you hope is that the one person being asked goes, oh, yeah, I know Sona can help you. This is why I don't care about sort of shiny elevator statements where, again, people will spend weeks sort of perfecting them because you're not going to be in the room to say your shiny elevator statement. So I think it needs to be incredibly simple and easy to remember. Like you and I can remember white paper guy. I know Bob Bly is direct response guy. I don't know what he actually says. It's just like, yeah, I know that's what he does. You need something that's simple enough and memorable enough that another human can remember it. And so it needs to be clear, but I don't think it needs to be fancy. I think people spend too much time on that. You know, they have these sort of benefit-laden statements. I help companies increase sales by 40% using my five-star system. I mean, it's okay, but I'm not going to remember that. So I think simple is the key. And I think, again, the place to start is not the description so much as what's your thing. 
It could be the audience, it could be what you do, it could be the way you do it. Um, I, you know, I heard about a, a law firm that did um, flat fee divorces. That's interesting. I don't know if they're any good at it, but it, right away you go, oh, okay. That's like a little space of earth that they now kind of own. What can you do as a writer that also makes you different? And again, it's not going to be by claiming your expertise. Or I know people a lot of times get frustrated by, I have all these credentials, and how come people don't really seem to care? It's because it's hard for a potential client to tell the difference. You know, again, you don't know how good a doctor your doctor is. Even if there's a difference, yeah, you don't know. Interesting. Uh, and you talked about um, a little earlier about spreading the word and the fact that uh, you need to keep it, you need to keep your positioning statement simple uh, because you, you're often not there talking about you, right? <laughs> you two other people talking about you. That's how you get referrals to word of mouth. Uh, but what, what's a, what's a way to uh, make word of mouth happen? Like, like so let's assume that you have this narrow focus you have a, a very crisp way of describing what you do that's memorable, that sticks, that people remember. Yeah. Well, what, what, what's a way to, to kind of get that snowball rolling down the hill and, and, and get more and more people talking about what you do? You mentioned you're an expert in e-newsletters. E Is that one of the solutions? You mean to be that? Well, to, to, uh, to uh, increase word of mouth. Well, you know, it's funny. I always say that the number one marketing tool is demand. So the first question is, does anybody want what you're selling? So if I said I did, you know, haiku direct response writing, I may be the only one on earth, but if nobody wants that, it's going nowhere. So I'm not sure you can get word of mouth going sort of for its own sake. The first question is like, again, to use Gordon, are there people who want white papers? If that dried up, and for whatever reason, nobody wanted it. It doesn't matter how good he is at describing it. So I think word of mouth happens. Because again, all day long, all these people are interacting and everyone's, again, if you think about where you found your attorney, your doctor, your auto mechanic, you didn't go Google it. You asked somebody, who do you know? The question is when the who do you know question is asked, what what question will make your name pop to it, if not the top of the list, at least in the top three? And so there has to be demand for the thing you do, and then it's a question of are you clear and consistent enough? I do find people change what they say depending on who they're talking to. And again, the problem is if you say five different things to five different people, all you're going to come across as is freelance writer. So it takes a little bit of courage because the feeling is that if I just keep saying email newsletter over and over again, I'm restricting myself. But again, what I want is that if anyone says that word and has a need, that everyone points over to me. And, and that's, again, same for your listeners. That's the question. What's the thing that's going to point to you? And I think it's not only if there, is there a demand, but is there a, a demand in, in regards that people are looking for really good people to do it? Like I, I was speaking with a writer a couple of years ago who wanted to specialize in writing sell sheets. These are two-sided brochures that B2B companies yeah. use. And, and it's an important project. I mean, I, uh, you know, it's, uh, companies need them. There is a demand. But companies don't particularly place a lot of value in 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 paying for fantastic copywriting for a sell sheet. They'll play a higher value for email campaigns, for e-newsletters, for websites, 
even for blogs, but not so much sell sheets, rightly or wrongly. So I think not only demand, but are people, are they really looking for top-notch professionals for that? Yeah, I agree. I mean, it does matter is your audience willing to pay, you know, a, a good amount of money, whatever that is for you. And it varies completely based on who you're, you know, who you're selling to. I, to me, I, I'm always looking for the Venn diagram that's the overlap between what are you really good at, what do you really like, and what is someone willing to pay for? And, you know, you can come up with different examples of people who have two out of the three. You know, maybe it's the starving artist who's good and likes it, but no one wants to pay for it. Or if you have the sort of classic attorney who gets paid and is good at it, but doesn't like it. So right, right. you kind of want all three, I think. That's the perfect place because you want to, of course, be happy doing it. And it ought to be something that you're naturally inclined to be good at. But as you said, if, if someone's not willing to pay for it, you just don't have a business no matter how well you describe it. Now, at the end of the day, this, this, this is not something that happens for most writers out of the gate, is it? I mean, it's a bit of a journey. I know even with Gordon Graham, he didn't start out as that white paper guy. I think he started out as a, as a technical writer and then yeah. kind of found white papers and thought, geez, I really like this. And just like the Venn diagram you described, uh, you know, I think Gordon's uh, thought process was this pays really well. There's a demand for it. And I really enjoy doing it. <laughs> You know, so yeah, I, uh, I, I do think it's a journey. Although I think people it tend took them to a couple years. It, yeah, I think people tend to approach it backwards, though. Like so, for example, half of what I do now is not email newsletters. But the thing is, I've been around for a while, so I have a certain amount of momentum. I don't have to be so careful anymore about what I say because you know, once you do have a reputation and you know all that kind of stuff, stuff comes your way. But if I was starting out today, like I, when I did. I, I used to use the phrase, I do one thing and one thing only, email newsletters. That's it. That's all I said on my website. That's all I would say because I was trying to get established. I think people start at the wrong side of it. People, when they start out, tend to think, I I'm willing to do anything because, hey, I'm just trying to make a little money, and I understand that. But if that's what you say, and they think maybe, maybe later on I'll focus, I'd go the other way. Focus now then you can get sloppy later on. And the problem is your sort of friends and family and brother-in-law with the MBA is going to tell you, can't be too narrow, limiting your options. And again, as I said before, I think that's the wrong way to do it. So if I were plunked down on earth right now today, you know, it's fresh, I'd pick something super, super narrow and then expand from there once I get a bit of a toehold. Interesting. That, uh Michael, this has been fantastic advice. Thanks for uh, sharing all this with us. It's uh, very helpful when it comes to positioning, when it comes to narrowing your focus. And it seems to me that that the key to describing what you do really is about strategy, about you know deciding what to focus on and what you're going to be about yeah. and the type of projects and clients you're going to be working on. And that drives how you describe yourself, right? Yeah, I think you're right. And it's a funny thing. And I think as as people who like words – we actually have a, a a bit of a handicap here because we like playing with what word should it be. And there's a tendency to think that it's, if I can come up with the right phrase, you know, all the, the floodgates will open. But I think, as you said, it's really more first strategically, what do you want to be? And then figure out how to describe it. And again, I don't think, the, although I think the words matter, obviously, in the work you do for clients, I don't think the description 
matters nearly as much because once you have that niche, um, that's what makes the difference. And again, other people don't remember your tagline anyway because you don't have enough marketing power behind it to make me remember the way Nike does. Yeah, they don't remember your tagline, but they remember that you're that guy or that gal that does this. <laughs> that's really good at this. And that's what they remember. And I think that's the, the lesson that you're sharing with us today. Yeah, it's um, funny. I, I often have a similar discussion with people. I was just talking to a woman a week ago who's been agonizing for, she said, months over what to name her company. And I said, doesn't matter. Find something you love. No one's going to know the name of it except you. It's going to be, you know, whatever your name is <laughs> anyway. So it, it, I think that's one of the things that we tend to copy from big companies. It does matter if you're Nike, what your name is and what you're, logo looks like and what your tagline is but for us as long as it's not horrible that makes me go oh my god this person's you know terrible that stuff doesn't matter so to me it's like pick something you love because you'll be looking at your name over and over again but for other people it doesn't make a big difference well michael this has been great thanks for sharing these tips one last question uh what's the story behind blue penguin <laughs> speaking of your name blue penguin development well, okay, it was a complete accident in the sense that I, you know, I had nothing obviously to do with my company. Um, but when I left my job in 2000, I was going to name it michaelcats.com because that was like the dot-com thing had just started. Right. And, I, and after about a week, I was sick of my own name. It was everywhere on my website. And then I just thought, oh, I like penguins and I needed another word. So I just came up with Blue Penguin. And that's been fun. I mean, I, I think it's been helpful because it's a sort of physical thing. Right. Um, as opposed to, you know, Michael Katz and Associates or something. But uh, again, it has nothing to do with what I do. It does add a bit of sort of whimsy. And, you know, 18 years later, I like it, which to me, again, is what matters because you got to look at it all the time. So <laughs> you'll find something you like. <laughs> well, that's the important point. Michael, thanks a lot. Thanks for joining us on this podcast. Much appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So that's Michael Katz, originally on how to describe your services, but uh, quickly getting into a deeper issue of focus, of focusing your business, of really understanding who your ideal clients are and what you do, and being able to describe that in a way that's shareable, uh, where people can talk about you and, and position you and know what you do and tell others about you. Uh, that's, that's the real importance of being able to describe your services. It's not just the words. It's really positioning and focus. So I hope you got something out of that. I certainly did. I think it was a great interview. Uh, and if you have any questions about this podcast or have any topic suggestions, I invite you to send me an email. You can reach me at steveslonwhite at gmail.com. I would look forward to hearing from you. And until the next episode of B2B Writing Success, I hope you have a great week with your B2B writing or copywriting business. And just as a quick reminder, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. Just go to iTunes and do a search for B2B Writing Success and you'll find this podcast. You can subscribe right there. Or you can also go directly to the website at b2bwritingsuccess.com. You can listen to the episodes there as well and also download the, uh, the recording. So until next week, I'm Steve Sloan White. Have a great week. I will talk with you then. We hope you enjoyed this edition of B2B Writing Success with Steve Sloan White. For more tips on building a thriving B2B writing business, visit www.b2bwritingsuccess.com. <laughs>